This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Shlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. In this episode, we spoke to performer Eugene Ugetti about his collaboration with sound artist Philip Samartzis and their installation work Array, which is based on sounds recorded in Antarctica. In our chat, Eugene explains how he developed the instruments and performance techniques employed in this installation work. This beautiful album was released by Room 40 in October 2021 and is available for purchase through Bandcamp. So I'm Eugene Ugetti and I live in Melbourne, Australia and I am a percussionist, composer and I'm the artistic director of Speak Percussion. Today we're going to talk about a new sound installation work that is entitled Array that has just recently been released on Room 40 on vinyl. And it's a collaborative work um, co-created by myself and sound artist Philip Samartzis. So you've just heard the first track in this new work, Array, and it comes from a large-scale collaborative work that Philip and I have been engaged in, which really stretches over, well, almost 10 or so years. And it all began with Philip's work as artist-in-residence in Antarctica. He went once some years ago, and before his second trip to Antarctica, he approached me about making a new work together with Speak Percussion. And... At the time, he wanted to create a work that was going to be using a whole range of new field recordings that he was making on Casey Base Station, which is one of the kind of Australian Antarctic 
um, base stations um, in Antarctica. And what was born essentially from that were these two major works that were created over, over three years of collaboration. Array itself is a pure sound installation. It's an eight-channel sound installation that we decided to put on vinyl. And what it uses is really two discrete elements. One of them is a whole series of different field recordings made by Philip in Antarctica. And they document all kinds of natural phenomena from glaciers rubbing together, caught by hydrophones, through to the catabatic winds. These are these extreme high-velocity winds that happen um, at low altitude in Antarctica. We've got ice storms, blizzards, all, all range of phenomena that get, that, that get used in this sound installation. My role in the work was um, at first to basically design a completely new bespoke instrumentation. So I spent a year working with the industrial design department at RMIT University here in Melbourne, and we basically created a whole series of new instruments that use the same raw elements, ice, air, and water, in order to then recreate the kind of environmental sounds that are captured in the field recordings. So there are some extraordinary instruments um, that are used. In fact, part of the work, we use ice cores, literally frozen carbonated water that gets dipped into to water and hydrophones capture those sounds. We're using sort of pulsated air through um, corrugated tubing. We're using really microscopic small fipples with... Um, high-pressure air and so on to create these kinds of high-tone, squealing, overtone patterns. So the sound installation work, Array, feels like a sound installation and less like a composition. This was really interesting for me as an experimental musician to be kind of making work that was less about, you know, formal composition and more about work that could sit in a gallery context and was in some ways led by the field recordings led by environmental sounds. So there was less of this kind of formal compositional logic unfolding and less of the human hand at play. You can really hear in this work, you don't hear the performer's voice. At least I'm not intentionally trying to show that in this work. And that was really quite lovely in the sense that you don't necessarily always know what is field recording and what is live performer. And a lot of this project was about tuning the instruments in order to kind of harmonically augment Antarctica to sort of take some of those extreme wind events and make them more kinetic, more vivid, um, more haptic than they were in reality and to sort of animate them in different ways. And, and what we get essentially are, you know, four, three movements divided into four parts on this vinyl that really articulate some very different colours that we experience in Antarctica. Some of it is the anthropogenic material of Antarctica because, of course, you can't visit that continent and survive without a whole range of equipment. And that equipment defines our presence on the continent. Diesel engines, protective equipment, gloves, helicopters, aircraft, rope, all kinds of things that are really essential to survival down there. You, you hear those in the recordings. The base station is made of metal. It's fixed with restraining cables. So experiencing a blizzard, we're talking hundreds of kilometres of, of an hour winds, you, you hear the, the built environment as much as you do the natural environment. And this is just, a, you know, it's a byproduct of being a human being in this kind of somewhat uninhabitable place 
but it's also um, a sign of our presence on that continent as well, which has become part of how we understand Antarctica. So a lot of the recordings do articulate our impact on that continent. And for that reason, it has a kind of climate change, um, new materialist quality to it. So Philip, on two occasions, has visited Antarctica. The first time he took the icebreaker down, which was a some month-long journey, quite extreme um, experience. The second time he took the Hercules aircraft, which which sort of flew him into Casey Base Station. I think they have an airport there, or at least a landing strip. Um, and yeah, it's an expensive venture. I mean, to, to any human being down there, I mean, there's there's everything shipped in, all the food. Um, they've got chefs. They've got a really um, highly resource intensive existence down there so the the residency and the 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 sort of creative work itself was um you know very expensive to create um i've never been to antarctica but i think for me what was interesting was i could never imagine you know i could imagine but i i never saw the purpose in trying to make conventional music or even conventional experimental music in this kind of antarctic Antarctic landscape. For me, it was very much about trying to meet these field recordings head on and to try and build a language that was very much symbiotic. Yes, I want to augment it. Yes, I want to distort it and take it to a kind of fantastical, um, impossible place at times. But on the other hand, I do want to be able to hide inside it or or be informed by it or, or be able to respond to it and speak the same language to some degree as well. And of course, um, it meant abandoning conventional instruments. It meant that that no no kind of conventional musical instrument really ha- is part of this work whatsoever. Um, and in fact, no real uh, conventional percussion techniques, apart from a couple, find their way into this work. And this was very much about just throwing those things out of the window and saying, well, what does the work need? What does this project need? And then let's bring the tools to the table that allow the work to sing in the way it needs to. And I think it's important to sort of see this sound installation work in the context of its companion piece, which is a, a work called Polar Force. That's a live performance installation work, which does involve a inflatable structure and two percussionists performing live. But again, the performance looks and feels more like sound research and it involves bespoke instrumentation that to the untrained eye would look just as much like scientific equipment as it would musical instruments. Collaborating with Philip Samartis was a really rewarding and, and, and really generous um, experience. He was incredibly open to how his field recordings would be used. And in the case of Array, it was very much a kind of, well, it was a work that we made more or less during lockdown. And it was very much a kind of bouncing ideas off one another. He presented me with surplus field recordings that he thought were contrasting polar force, but really interesting things to use. And then from there, I went in and extracted the materials that I thought resonated with me most on a musical and a sonic level. And from there, I started to kind of dream and imagine musical responses. So yeah, the field recordings came first, but we very much negotiated which ones would be used. And there was live studio recordings that were made in order to kind of make the sound installation, but then a very collaborative mixing and mastering process as well that involved essentially composing the work um, collaboratively. The work was conceived 
as a sound installation and it has been presented as an eight-channel sound installation and will exist that way. Everything you hear was performed, um, everything I played was performed live and was basically all acoustic, I think entirely acoustic. So I was doing, there was a series of sections where I was using uh, thick pieces of perspex and wet hands and essentially rubbing, rubbing perspex with close mic. I used um, about 10 fipples. These are the kind of whistles that you get um, you know, in a lot of wind instruments, essentially, with high pressure air tuned to these really microtonal high pitch chords. But I also had these whistles sort of half resting in water so I could sort of pulsate them and move them. There was a section where I had compressed air coming out of a, a small tube that was literally just playing with air in space across a sort of a, a, an amplified field. So you could hear sound, well, you could hear white noise air moving across a sort of three dimensional space. There's another section where we where I use an instrument we call luska, which is um, actually an eight um, eight corrugated tubes that come out of one big um, fan. And the nice thing about these tubes is that they're all tunable, so I can open and close them like a vibraphone motor. I can kind of manually open and close the motor to to allow more or less air to travel through each. So I can tune these overtone chords um, that then can also be pulsated much like a vibraphone motor. So that particular instrument features in a range of different sections. There's another section, for example, the last track that I know we'll, we'll hear, in fact, you might be hearing now, a series of sort of pulsated attacks. These pulsated attacks are compressed air fed into water. So it's essentially like bubbles popping into water. And depending on the air pressure, I can change the rhythm. So more air equals a faster rhythm. Lots and lots of air ends up sounding like a you know a spa bath, but but very very small amounts of air through a through a kind of fine tuner, I can get these slow like you know 10 BPM kind of rhythmic attacks. So it's almost like a, you know a lot of this piece made manually is like operating um, analog electronics, even though they're acoustic instruments. So I'm literally opening and closing filters and gates, letting air through, um, changing the fan speed. Um, and manipulating these things live.